Hello and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Ariana Cascone, and I'm here today with Andre Carlisle of Diaspora United and Gaming Society to recap the fifth match day of the 2023 NWSL regular season. So how are we doing today, Andre? Oh, I am excited. I'm still levitating from this weekend of NWSL action. This was this was a very fun weekend. Yeah, it was chaotic, such is the NWSL, <laughs> but it felt especially fun this weekend. So we had some drama in the first match of the weekend, right? North Carolina beat Houston one nothing on the road. And that was a game that saw another lengthy rain delay. And it was eventually called after only 52 minutes. And then racing Louisville and OL rain played to a two, two draw. And that was actually the 1000th NWSL match. Mm-hmm. And then another kind tie of fitting between... for Pino to score in the 1000th <laughs> match, isn't it? That's true. And it was, it's fitting for <laughs> OL rain to play in that one. Seeing Fishlock and Barnes. So, <laughs> um, Chicago and Washington also drew 1 1 this weekend. And in a potential shocker of a game, Orlando earned their first win of the season against San Diego 3 1. So, that's a game that we'll focus on today. Um, Portland and Angel City tied in an extremely dramatic fashion in the epitome of an NWSL after dark match with a 3 3 scoreline. And then Kansas City flanked Gotham 2 0 yesterday. So I think we should just get into it in the order of things that happened, right? So we can talk about San Diego and Orlando. So coming into this game, Orlando was one of only two teams that hadn't won yet. And just to be frank, I thought this was going to be another loss for them. Um, There is a little bit of history between these teams, though, that I think is relevant. So San Diego actually hasn't beaten Orlando yet. Um, They have not. So last season, they it is so <laughs> random. They lost one nothing and they tied 2-2. So coming into this game, were you sort of expecting it to be a little bit of a battle? I can't say that I expected it to be a battle. Um, I knew that, you know, I even tweeted that that I, I thought that Orlando was going to do this to somebody because, mm-hmm. like, you could see the pieces there. And honestly, they kept changing things up. They kept changing personnel, changing goalkeepers. I think they've had like, what, three different goalkeepers so far this season. Mm-hmm. So they just keep flopping between goalkeepers, which with a young back line is really unstable thing to do. So I was like, stop that. Um, but but yeah, you just saw like the talent and knew that eventually they were going to be able to get the right people in the right spaces to be able to make things happen. Did not expect it to be against San Diego. Did not expect it to be against San Diego in San Diego. That was another one. But when I saw that Alex Morgan was out of the game, I was like, ooh, interesting opportunity. Yeah, I I think that's worth mentioning. For San Diego, they did have a little bit of of shakeup in their lineup. So Emily Van Eggman was also out with a back injury. And I think, I'm pretty sure she played almost every minute for San Diego last year. I think she's sort of an unsung hero for them. Um, so having her out and of course, Alex Morgan, she was questionable with a thigh injury. And I guess after the way the game unfolded, she just, you know, maybe it just didn't make sense to put her in. Um, but the game did start off more like how I thought it would end with San Diego coming out on, you know, scoring a goal pretty early. And that was Jaden Shaw. Just, I was in awe of the goal that she scored. It's really hard to believe that she's 18. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the intelligence on her, the movement she has. If you watch the full move, mm-hmm. she just completely 
confuses the center back. She's just drifting like she's going to go straight in between the two center backs and try to challenge a header. And then she just darts in front. I mean, she created the space that she ran into. And that's something that is like, it sounds like something that's easy to do. It sounds mm-hmm. like something that you want a, a veteran striker to know how to do. But it, like you said, she's 18. She just got in. She didn't even have, she didn't even play a full season last year as well. So she's like pretty brand new to this league and still doing a bunch of stuff like this. And then even getting the space for creating the space. But then for me, the touch, mm-hmm. the touch and the direction on it to beat the keeper near post with that sort of pace on the ball. I thought it was an incredible, incredible goal. I mean, I just there will be a theme of young, <laughs> young players going bonkers this weekend. And uh, yeah, this was exceptional from Shaw. Yeah. Beating the keeper near post is like what really stood out to me because I've written kind of at length about how I don't rate Adam Warhouse very highly, just to be frank. And, you know, I think regardless of who was in the goal that was going in, it was just that yeah. kind of goal. So really happy to see that. Um, and then San Diego almost went up to nothing pretty shortly after Emily Madrill had to make a sliding clearance in front of an empty net. And that is sort of related to my Adam Warhouse maybe should be on the bench um, thought. I like sort of like what you said, I don't really know what the motivation is for rotating the keepers when you have a first year center back trying to hold everything down. But yeah, I don't, I don't really get it either, but I thought that in terms of performances along the back line, of course, you know, three, one against San Diego away is a pretty good result, but also I just thought you saw much more composure from the back line. Uh, Like you mentioned the Emily Madrill clearance. I thought that was excellent. You know, Mm -hmm. she had to come across because it wasn't actually her space, but she had to come across and get there to clear that ball out. And I thought that she did a really good job of recognition and the the organization seems to be there and they're covering gaps for one another, which means they're getting more comfortable understanding where one another is going to go and what that means for them and their positioning. So like Orlando, it's it's taken a bit and I still, you know, we'll, we'll still need to see a couple more games to see if this is something that sticks. And when they're tested with something that, Perhaps San Diego wasn't able to test them with. We'll see. But yeah, I was I was impressed. I thought the back line looked good. And but I'm I'm kind of with you. I, I would like to see. I just talked about them switching goalkeepers. I wouldn't mind another switch of goalkeeper as well. <laughs> but I, I yeah, that's something they do have to figure out, though, because they can't keep juggling them. Yeah, I think Ariel Drawer has has uh, tweeted about this before, I think, but this idea that an average goalkeeper can kind of be a real difference maker in the NWSL. And, yeah. you know, it makes me wonder if Orlando would have had such a rocky start if they had someone who was just, you know, right on par with league average. But, um, yeah, I think it's the way in which Orlando equalized is also interesting, given that we're talking about, you know, this defensive organization from Orlando, because I think we didn't see that from San Diego. So they equalized off a corner in the 26th minute. So Michaela Clough headed in a corner and um, I don't really know what happened on the play. It I <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect a goal to happen off of a corner for Orlando, given like how San Diego is in the box and Kaylin Sheridan is a keeper. And um, yeah, so pretty good for them to equalize, you know, 26 minutes, not too far after going down. Yeah, I was, for me, it was just all about the service, the delivery. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about her probably a bit more, but I'll just say Adriana had herself a game. She was unreal in this game and kind of showed like, 
okay, this is this is why Orlando Witten got her and brought her because to me it's just that it was left footed delivery. It floated over the goalkeeper and landed basically far post, mm-hmm. but like right to where somebody could get ahead on it. And if you get ahead on the ball that close to goal, I know it's like a tight angle, but if you can get it on frame, that's just, it's really hard for a goalkeeper who's already tracking the ball over their head to react to. So if you place it anywhere out, you know, away from the keeper, it's usually a goal. And that's what, that's what Clough did. So I just thought it was, it, it was weird the way it looked, but it was also like, that's the, that's completely the delivery, just completely like making it easy for the score. Mm-hmm. That was similar to their, the goal that ended up putting them up to one too, because uh, it was a header kind of past the penalty spot, but the service in was, was obviously good. Um, otherwise, you can't really finish one. So I do feel bad for Naomi Gurma, though, because she was left out to dry on that play a little bit. She ended up marking. Yeah. She was sort of marking two players and not really committing yeah. to either. And then one of them scored. And what are you going to do with that, really? But. That's So, again, Adriana had a great game. She wasn't directly involved in this goal in terms of the assist. But she's the one who received the pass and held the ball and made the defender step up to kind of pressure her. And then she passed it across to Villacorta, who saw and 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 McCutcheon ran into that space that, that was vacated once they went to press Adriana. And that's why she had the space. So I thought, like, again, it was her doing something to, like, just get the defense out of shape, cause a little gap, and then they were able to exploit it. And I thought it was great. That header, though, McCutcheon's header, was just so good. <laughs> so I was not expecting that at all. I don't know if I would like, I don't know how many players just have like the presence of mind to just like, you know what? I'm just going to, it's like a chipped shot, but it was with her head. Mm-hmm. And I was just to the far post was just like, what, what did you just do? That was so cool. Yeah, I agree. And um, thinking about these, just sort of we're talking through some of the, I guess, defensive missteps really for San Diego. Casey Stoney was really, disappointed in the post game she kept harping on this sloppy errors technical errors from her team she even said on the second goal there was just no tracking whatsoever um so i think hopefully san diego watches a lot of that film and then they don't do that again because i think casey sony will continue on that disappointment train if that happens again yeah, it, 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 they are mistakes that you don't usually see a, a team make and specifically <clears throat> a Casey Stoney team. Mm-hmm. But, um, I still think like Orlando did some things to cause them some problems and that, that you could say. And, you know, we, we, you mentioned the, the absence of Ben Eggman, but I also don't want to say like they were completely depleted because Colaprico was still there. Right. Excellent. Very good defender, uh, defensive midfielder down there as well. So like, I think. I think San Diego probably <laughs> look at the film and not be happy with themselves at all. But I still think there's plenty in terms of like, how can we replicate these things that Orlando can look to as well? It wasn't just complete defensive errors. They were kind of baited into doing things that they shouldn't do, shouldn't have done. And I think that Orlando possesses the kind of talent that's going to allow um, multiple defenses to kind of struggle with that. Uh, from, depending, like I said, I'm going to give it some time. This was a very good win. I want to give it some time, but uh, I think you kind of saw Orlando at their peak, what they kind of envisioned. Yeah, and they get to face, I'm pretty sure they're facing Racing Louisville next, and that team will be without their engine, Savannah DeBello. So pretty good timing for Orlando if they're kind of starting to find their stride and then they play Racing without their star player. 
Um, okay. So I think we can transition into the second game that we'll cover today. So Portland Angel City. Oh, do you have one I just more have thing? To shout out Adriana's goal. Oh yes, please. I'm sorry, I totally <laughs> forgot. Please shout it out. It was. I know we was... talked about we basically dissected all the goals yes. in the game, but but like this one was probably my favorite. Um, and and it is very difficult for a number of reasons to beat Naomi Gurma one v one, but this is what she did, and it was another really good. It was it was another really good, you know. Um, sequence by the pride they were able to you know turn get the ball in midfield run at the back line causing them to make decisions and Adriana just stayed wide and kind of forced the um, force that made that space and then just the skill on the ball shot between the legs mm-hmm. to the far post I love the way this is a thing about me I just love the way um like the post shot action like when it hits off the post the bar anything like anything that makes the ball just kind of rattle around in the net makes me happy this had a very very satisfying reaction when it hit the inside of the far post and like shot into the back of the net it was an exceptionally placed shot and well struck I was like okay yeah when I said she balled out this game she balled out this game yeah, she really did. Thanks for reminding me to talk about this because I thought it was really interesting that Casey Stoney's reaction to this goal in the post game was that their shape wasn't right. But I think it's more of what you said, like that driving at the back line, San Diego just didn't really know what to do. Um, and I think they couldn't adjust fast enough. So maybe that's what, what Stoney was getting at. But yeah, the goal through Naomi Grimm's legs, like I was really excited to see this goal. Icing on the cake there. So we will now, for real this time, talk about Portland Angel City. Um, so we talked about a youngster scoring very early in that first game, right? And the same thing kind of happened again in this Angel City Portland game. So Alyssa Thompson burned Kelly Hubley with one touch. Huge change of pace, right? I saw this goal. I mean, I saw the sequence and I was like, oof, Hubley, you're going to want that one back right? Um, She beat Bella Bixby near post and, you know, great goal, great confidence by Alyssa Thompson, but I think pretty poor goalkeeping there too. And I think Bixby knew that the broadcast even said, look at her body language. She knows she should have gotten something on there. Um, You know, second goal for Thompson this season and proving yet again, why Angel City was right to take her first in the draft. Yeah, I I, I think Bixby also said after the game that she felt like the goal was completely on her. You know, the ball went underneath her body. And as a goalkeeper, that should never happen. You got to be able to get down quick enough and all mm-hmm. of that. I, cor- yes, in theory, I agree. But this was not like, and I still say like, I would, I'd be frustrated as, a, as any goalkeeper letting that in. Mm-hmm. But I'll also say when you have something like that happen and you see that, I mean, as a goalkeeper, you're always trying to position yourself correctly. And when Alyssa Thompson, who is extremely quick, you know, wins that ball, drives really quickly into the box, and then you're kind of waiting, then you have a defensive recovery by Hubley, which uh, which Thompson just kind of like cuts inside of her anyway, again. So she like got her twice. Mm-hmm. And then the shot, it's one of those shots that dips right at the time of impact that the keeper wants to grab it. So it was it was not an easy shot to save, I don't think. I, I still think near post, ultimately, you would say yes, but there was some power and some dip on that shot that was very, very good. And um, yeah, just 
the fact that all, all of that was done by an 18 year old is just continuing the theme of, of the children just being fearless and outrageous talents. And it was just, it's really fun to watch. I mean, everything, it's almost like everything Alyssa Thompson does on the pitch is fun just because she's such an exciting player. But when she gets the ball to her feet or is played into space, mm-hmm. like the entire crowd gets really excited because you're just like, yeah, this is. Like the anticipation is there and it's because she could do stuff like this. Yeah, that's true. And and what I said was not take anything away from Thompson, right? I think it is a special skill to beat a keeper at a near post, regardless of, you know, what that keeper is doing. Cause obviously they are trying to keep the ball out of the net, even if it doesn't work. Um, they're so in Julie, I, Julie Ertz is back, right? This, this was not her, her return, but it sort of felt like it in that she conceded a penalty uh, in the 30th minute and <laughs> she was very just unhappy with this call. I was sort of laughing to myself because I I mean to me it looked pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. She decked Crystal Dunn. Um yeah. but Julie Ertz was sort of like telling the ref, look at the replay, right? It wasn't a foul. Um so uh, Portland pulling even shortly after. But then it was Julie Ertz who ended up, you know, scoring later on so she sort of said okay i gave the penalty up but then i scored a goal so it evens out (laughs) yeah i for me like julie Ertz is just it's it's kind of been i was not anticipating watching this nwsl season and seeing julie Ertz. so Mm -hmm. suddenly she's back with the national team and you're like okay cool then they tell her she has to get a team and you're like okay basically every team could use julie Ertz. let's see where she goes and then i think she goes to the one team that needs her needed her the most because Angel City, you know, they haven't been a league that long, obviously, inaugural season last year, but like that's the one position they needed. They actually had her, and then she, you know, didn't play for them, mm-hmm. ended up, you know, having giving birth to her son. And it, it's like, okay, now she is back and she is all the way back. Like the performances have been great. We've seen just like dominant defensive midfield Juliers, and we've also seen chaos agent Juliers, which was, I think she was all those things in this match because she was all over the place, gave a penalty, scored a goal, <laughs> yellow card. You're just like, okay, okay, Julie. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super glad she's back though. I am too. Um, and I, I jumped ahead a little bit, um, you know, talking about Juliers' goal, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Olivia Moultrie's pass to Morgan Weaver. So I think I've probably watched this sequence like 10 times. I cannot get enough of it. Um, So the entire sequence starts by Moultrie sort of like hugging the touchline, right? She's getting the field as wide as she can. And then once she gets the ball, she's driving forward and plays just basically a perfectly weighted ball that bends around the back line, right? And then Weaver's first touch beats the keeper and Portland scores. So what did you think of that? That was outrageous. Just a simply outrageous pass. And again, continuing the theme, 17 years old. Yeah. That just is out. It's it's wild to see that pass because there were multiple players and defenders. There wasn't a long window. She was actually like cutting in inside when mm-hmm. she made that pass. So there wasn't a, a window for long with the defense shifting. And she hit it perfectly. I love the angle behind because you can see her kind of like flip the ball with her foot and you can see it spin kind of like hit the turf and then curl right into uh, Morgan Weaver's pass. I was like, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. That, that was outrageous. <laughs> that was just simply an outrageous uh, assist. It's going to be, I hope it's on the list of like assist of the season uh, at the end of the season, because 
it deserved it. And I was, when it happened in real time, I was like, what is she? Do? It's, it's one of those where you see the past happen. And initially you're thinking, what, what was that? Who's that to? And yeah. then all of a sudden you see the player connect with it and you're like, oh my God. You're like, <laughs> How never did mind. She that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually part of Olivia Moultrie's game that is been really clearly improved, at least for me this season. So, yeah. you know, I, she is getting more time on the field. Um, but it seems like her vision is just a step up from last year. And yeah. it's sort of hard to quantify, like, what what does that mean when I say her vision is improved, right? I think this assist really captures it really well. Um, this is, I mean, she has played balls like this, not just in that game over the weekend, right? Uh, at a few times over the season, they just potentially didn't end up in goals. And I think um, as the season progresses, the Thorns are really going to have to rely on Moultrie to have a big season, thinking about when so many of their players leave for the World Cup. So it's exciting to see her do this now while everyone's there and sort of prove that she's got her footing and and maybe she will be, you know, a big part of why Portland might be able to sustain their success in that World Cup window. Yeah, and I think it is. I mean, we're. I almost like... I know we've been talking about the, the young kids and I've just been amazed at like how many teenagers are like excelling in the league. And mm-hmm. for me, it's just like, it's almost like icing on top of the cake for, for the NWSL as a whole, because we know the level of talent in this league from veteran talent to, you know, talent that came out of college that's in their twenties and everything like early twenties, like, you know, even talking about a player like Trinity Rodman, who's still incredibly young, but still incredibly good. And, you know, you you have all of that. So I almost don't want to put any expectations on any player that comes in as a teenager Mm -hmm. and does things. But you can kind of see these players are so talented and so skilled that when they start picking up the pace of the game, you know, when they start picking up their teammates movements, the opposition movements, you see what they're capable of. And it just makes you even more excited. So, like I still say, they're young, they're going to make mistakes, let them grow. But when you can get them in positions where they can, you know, show their skills it's really fun. And I think we saw a lot of that this weekend and that Moultrie pass is just, I mean, I, I think I'm like you, I've watched it a number of times. I just <laughs> like, I, I wanted to see all angles of it and everything. Cause I just did not, it didn't compute at first. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, yeah. And we also saw Melanie Barsena's uh, debut, yeah. right? I think she's the youngest player to debut in the NWSL. Yes. She debuted for the wave. Um, we didn't mention her, but she did get some minutes in. So just lots of exciting Thanks, I think so she is three months younger than Chloe Ricketts, who also got some time with the spirit against the Red Stars. So like, again, just continuing, continuing the trend. Yeah. Um, okay. So we now at this point, Portland was up by a goal and then there was an own goal in the 74th minute. Um, so in on this play, Bixby insisted that she was fouled, but she actually didn't have her hands up at all. So that's another in my opinion, rough goalkeeping for Bella Bixby. I think she was having a pretty rough game, and we'll talk about that back heel equalizer that she scored, which sort of <laughs> um, cleansed her record there. But, uh, yeah, rough for Portland to concede an own goal there. Yeah, and this is this this was the chaotic Juilliards, you know, showing up, and and the referee just <laughs> let it happen. You know, Juilliards basically just – I know she was trying to head the ball, so there wasn't a lot of intent into it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Juilliards, whenever the – went from a corner situation, she's like a missile. She's just going to dive and, and jump and do whatever she can to try to get contact on the ball. And I think she just ended up, you know, 
basically Bixby was collateral damage. <laughs> it's just like, that's how Julie Ertz rolls. So I, I could have seen a foul there. I could have seen it also not given. I think my biggest problem is that they ruled it an own goal when it should have been a Katie Johnson goal, which yeah. made me upset because Katie Johnson's been like on this absurd, like scoring run from corners. And so I was like, she did it again. And then they were like, nah, she didn't. I was like, um, but my eyes. I, <laughs> I know I saw, I thought it was Katie Johnson's goal. And then I looked to see, I don't know if they changed it later or if I just missed the own goal assignment during the broadcast. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't like I think I saw I was alerted to it because Angel City tweeted it like I think it was like five minutes or something after the goal. They were like, um, it's, it's something like it's been changed to an own goal. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> like, I, I don't, don't want like that. that justice for Katie Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so we mentioned that Juilliard's scores. Right. And I think at that point, Angel City thought, hey, we're going to come out of this game at Providence Park with a W. Yes. And you know, come 90 minutes, I thought the same thing was going to happen. And then Portland sent their goalkeeper up for a corner in the 90 plus four. And I just want to talk a little bit about that strategy to do that in the fifth game of the season. Like what is up with that? (laughs) I mean, if you need a goal, you need a goal. Get all the players in the box and do what you got to do. I mean, I, it was, I, I absolutely love the, the image of like the fact that both keepers were just like marked basically on each other. And, mm-hmm. and, and that scenario was just very funny, but just like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. I think, I think it's, it's also, it's a regular season game. So I don't want it, but I don't want to diminish it. Like if it happens to go terribly wrong and, the other team gets the ball and breaks really quickly. They got an open net and they can just easily find it. But to be honest, I think it's kind of worth the risk that late in a game because, you know, what, what do you really have to lose? You're already down 3-2. You know, you got to get a goal. So mm-hmm. the one of the ways to get an advantage in, in this game is numbers. And <laughs> that's one way to do it. And Bella Bixby's pretty tall. So go for it. Yeah, for sure. And then she ends up scoring a backheel goal, which is just... <laughs> outrageous right watching the replay it looked like an angel city defender headed the ball out of Didi Harachich's mm-hmm. hands which that's just like I felt really sorry for angel city in that moment but I my excitement about a goalkeeper goal sort of evened it out so honestly it's one of those things where I think and I know like angel city fans might be mad at me for this but like I'm here for chaos, I'm here for vibes, and I have a strict vibes rule. Like if the if it makes the vibes like elevate, then it counts. It's good. So like I'd probably be a little upset that the ball was knocked out of the hands. It did seem like she had control of it, but I if she had control of it, it wasn't for long. That's the other thing. That whole thing happened pretty quickly. She jumped up, got her hands on the ball, but then wasn't able to really even. I don't even know if her feet got back to the ground before she came in contact and lost it. So like it was kind of bang bang and just the the awareness by Bella Bixby to do that like where did that come from why was that the first thought and like I, I can think like a few attackers maybe wouldn't think like okay easy simple back heel goal no problem like instinctually maybe some players do it mm-hmm. but like to have your goalkeeper do that and the time that it happened was 90 plus seven <laughs> It's outrageous, man. I love this league. It just doesn't make any sense. I think after the game, she's like, it took me 10 seconds to realize what happened. And I'm just like, <laughs> you did the thing. You scored the equalizer. Um, and that salvage, I think a 12-game unbeaten streak for the Thorns. So mm-hmm. pretty exciting for them. Um, they remain unbeaten 
they are are they the only team that's unbeaten at this point? No, the spirit. There's one more. The spirit, well, but they yes, only have how dare like, I? one win. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite different uh, circumstances yeah, there. A little different. Um, so, are there any uh, final thoughts on Portland Angel City before we take a quick break and then dive into Kansas City Gotham? Um, no, just shout out to Bella Bixby. That was amazing. I just am like. It was one of the moments of the season already. And I, like we said, this weekend was wild. We didn't even talk about like a, a stoppage time winner from Jordan Heidema that got them, a, not a winner, uh, uh, that drew them level with with Louisville. Mm-hmm. So like there was just so many things that happened this weekend. But it's like, how do you top a backhill goalkeeper goal in the 97th minute? You, you really can't. So, you know, I, it's, I yeah, it, this was one of the most fun games. And you could really see. Uh, both teams, their complement of talent and them coming together as teams. I think that was also another theme of this entire um, this entire weekend, that teams are starting to take shape and come together mm-hmm. and figure out how to impose their will in certain moments. And that's making the games very fun. Yes, I totally agree. And that's a good foreshadowing for talking about Kansas City in just a second. So we will take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back to talk a little bit more about Kansas City and sort of like what you alluded to, this idea that teams are starting to come together and gel, you know, after these first five games. So Dabinia scored both goals in Kansas City's win over Gotham. I think that might have been the current's first true brace in regular season competition, which is kind of fun that it came from Dabinia in her first season with the current. Um but what's your main takeaway from this one? Mm, there are so many. Um, How do you pick one? Yeah, I know, right? That was I was not I was prepared for many questions, but not that <laughs> one. Um, I you know, I'm I might make Gotham people mad now. I'm I'm a little disappointed with Gotham because I know that Kansas City has changed, like they turned some things around. They've kind of started to maybe not even turn them around. They just started to figure them out. It's very young defense. It's not the defense they thought they were going to have. Mm-hmm. Coming into the season, Desiree Scott's been injured as well. They've just got Dabinia back fully fit, De Bernardo as well. So, like, there are still a number of players that they signed that haven't played. But I think that Gotham and the turnaround that they have had this season already, with Lynn Williams being incredible and scoring in just about every game, that this was an opportunity to jump to the top of the table. Yes, it's early and it doesn't necessarily matter. Like they can get to the top of the table some other time and it's probably be better because more of the season had gone on. But I thought that like in terms of the rare opportunity to make a re- uh, make a statement, so to speak, everybody talked about Kansas City before the season started and Gotham, you know, made some pretty good moves, but it still was like because they had such a poor season last season. Nobody really knew what to expect from Gotham. And I think I thought it would have been real, a really cool statement, not only to get to the top of the table, but to do that against a team like Kansas City with Dabinia on the pitch, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, with at least Di Bernardo on the pitch as well, joining her. And they just couldn't do it. Didn't score at all. And I mean, some of that was Kansas City figuring things out defensively. But I mean, losing track of Dabinia is never like advised. You, you should not do that. <laughs> <laughs> they did it a couple times. Uh, and uh, yeah, don't do that. I know she's very good, but don't do that. 
Yeah, I think I was a little disappointed in Gotham too. I sort of expected this one to be not that it wasn't close, right? Because the two goals came yeah. sort of in quick succession uh, in the second half, but I never really felt that Gotham settled into this one. They sort of felt yeah. felt a little bit frantic to me. Their backline felt very disorganized, and I think you know that second goal when um, Abby Smith sort of came out and made you know a big defensive misstep, coming all the way out of the goal, and then you know being beaten by Michelle Cooper. And essentially to be the the current have an open goal to score exemplified sort of like the what the heck is going on with Gotham in this game for me. Yeah, and I felt like that was uh, that was a bit of a sad thing for me to see, because the first half, I would feel like it sounds stupid to give an MVP of a half. But if I had to give an MVP of the first half, it would have been Abby Smith. She made some mm-hmm. incredible saves in the first half, because like you mentioned, the defense was disorganized. Uh, Kansas City was finding their way through them. And there were some like one-on-one like she had to react really quickly she had to come out really quickly she had to spread herself wide you know she had to make sure that the that she was not going to allow the ball behind her and I thought she did excellent she had so many like really good lash ditch saves in the first half Mm -hmm. but I think overall the the fact that Gotham never got settled defensively ended up kind of getting in her head a little bit and maybe that's the reason why she was like okay I'm going to go claim this ball, even though it's way out here. I don't want whatever this is going to build up to be. I, I'm tired of kind of doing this. Let me go take care of this myself. Uh, and because that's the kind of decision you don't normally make as a goalkeeper. Like if everything is settled, you just let the defense handle it. Um, and it just didn't seem like she had that confidence in that game, which is why I was felt like it looks like a massive error on her part. But if you kind of look at the game overall, you can probably be like, I can kind of understand her being in the mindset of like, I got to go deal with this. Yeah, I think that's really important framing that I honestly I hadn't thought of uh, in that context, because in the first half, you mentioned that she made a ton of saves, which is true, but some of them are actually not even going to count because the goal or the yeah. shot was Rudolph's side, right? So she was having to come up big and kind of getting, not really getting burned because they didn't, you know, they didn't have any goals to show for it. Kansas City did in the first half, but you know, that framing makes sense to me. She's like, I have to go out and do this myself because nobody's helping me right now. Um, and it's a shame that that this is the the takeaway from Abby Smith's performance there. Um, to me, that's not an error that would get her benched, right? I think she's having a pretty good season, right? One mistake happens. Um, granted, this one's kind of big. So, of course, people are talking about it, but such is life. <laughs> Yeah. And that, that, that is the thing. Like it is, it's a frustrating position to be put in. Um, and, and who knows, like maybe it could have gone the way that I just said, or maybe it was just that she misjudged the, the flight of the ball, you know, who knows, but I, I tend to think that like looking at how the game goes and just kind of trying to think about how a, a player might react and why, what make, what, what might make them come to the decision to do, uh, to take that action, because it's not something we see her do too often. She doesn't come that far out of her box often. Uh, so, you know, if it was some if it was some other player like Sarah Buhati or somebody like that who has like a history for doing these things, we'd be mm-hmm. like, OK, well, they're just doing what they do. But Abby Smith doesn't really do those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, it, it was a little unfortunate. And I think it goes kind of goes back to just being a little disappointed in Gotham. I think they had some pretty decent moments uh, in attack. I thought that like Taylor Smith, Lynn Williams and Yasmin Ryan like played really well when they could connect. But those times are so few and far between. And when they when they tried to get force the ball to them, Kansas City would get the ball and then immediately open up a chance. And I think that made them hesitant, at least the midfield and probably the defense as well, 
hesitant to really like push forward. And then of course, when you have a front line like that, they're going to want to go. So they're not going to drop back and like try and pick up the ball and, and dink and dunk and like ticky talk of their way through up the pitch. They want to go. And yeah. I think that's kind of where the disconnect happened. If I were to kind of like instant analysis, the situation, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to bring up the front three for Gotham too, because one thing I noticed that I, I don't think was serving them particularly well is when they were going forward in quick transition, Lynn Williams was always behind the person yeah. with the ball. And, you know, that was often because she, of her defensive work, like she is a big reason why Gotham can win the ball back and then go forward. But, you know, to me, she was clearly missing in, in their final attacking sequences. And so I think she has been red hot, right? Things have been working for Gotham, but in this game specifically, I think, you know, it would have benefited them to have Lynn Williams on the front foot um, as they were going forward. Yeah. And, you know, I, not to make this all about the spirit because, but I do cover them. And one of like Mark Parsons like big things about Trinity Rahman is making sure that she doesn't have to drop too deep to win the ball because then she's too far away Mm -hmm. when you go on those transition moments. And I think it's the exact same thing in this game. You want, if you, if you don't have a player who like maybe even like if Mitch Purse was out there, you roll the ball wide to Mitch Purse and she's, she's going to want to, you know, put her foot on the ball. She's going to want to size up one B one. But that time allows Lynn Williams a chance to get in the box and do something. Yeah. But if you're always going in transition and Lynn Williams is a step behind, she's very fast, incredibly <laughs> fast. One of the fastest players in the league. But if everybody's already running with the ball forward and she's kind of recovering, trailing from behind before a shot comes, then, yeah, she, she's not going to be in the best position uh, that you would maybe want her to be in. So, yeah, I, th- I think I could definitely see some frustration from that. And just the way that the that they that the service that was provided to the front three was just a little a little iffy and hesitant. And I think she she probably felt like she needed to drop a little deeper um, mm-hmm. to get involved, but it also created a bit of a problem inside the box. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, switching gears a little bit to talk about Kansas City some more. Um, you know, Gotham's attack was disjointed, but like you said, their defense is looking a little bit better and and now it's being commanded by Cassie Miller in goal, right? So she earned her third consecutive start in all competitions, right? So this was her second regular season start. Um, And for me, this is a little bit of an eyebrow raiser, right? So AD French um, not starting for this many games, given that she's potentially fighting for a World Cup roster spot. So um, what's your take on that? Oh, yeah, this is a rough one. Um, I, I feel for AD French. I think that the, this is the weird thing about Kansas City. Like, yes, the results have been better, but they've also gotten healthier and their young players that they suddenly have to rely on are getting more comfortable. Mm -hmm. They're making some tweaks in order to close some gaps that have existed in previous weeks. So you just, you kind of see growth. So this is one thing where it's weird. It's hard for me to say like, Changing the goalkeeper is what helped everything. It's hard for me to say, like, changing the coach is what helped everything. You know, it's almost like these things, the way that the season naturally goes and young players, how they are, like, you're just, you're going to see improvements gradually. You're not going to see them all at once. And I think you've seen gradual improvements. And and so, and of course, when you have a player like Dabinia who can bide them some time, you know, it's very active at getting goals and assists. So you get those things on the board and it allows for players to be able to make mistakes without it being like, 
you know, suddenly you're down 01, 02, something like that. So as soon as they were able to counter a little bit and get on the board first, you know, work out changes through the Binia, it helps. And so for me, it's just tough. But back to the goalkeeping situation, it just, it feels especially rough for French. And I don't, honestly, if this continues, it really gives Vlatko a bit of a headache because he is kind of settled on French, uh, Murphy, and Nair. Nair's not having – she had a good game against the Spirit, but she's not having a great season. Murphy didn't have a great season last season and is doing better but not exceptional this season. And the one goalkeeper that's been pretty consistent throughout all of this is Kingsbury. And he kind of was like, nah, we're good with you. Like, I don't know how how many months ago. So, like, bringing her back in, maybe that's something that'll happen. But, I mean – not that your second or third choice goalkeeper is going to make or break your World Cup, but in terms of who deserves spots to get to there, I don't know if they've always been as meritocratic as you would hope. Yeah, I mean, my sort of take on that is um, head coach Vladko Nanovsky says that uh, club play matters, but I think all of what went on with Julie Ertz sort of shows that it might not. Um, and yeah. So, and, you know, Nair had a really a statistical down year last season, just having, continuing that this season, she's been their number one, right? So um, it, it is a little bit more difficult when you think of a goalkeeping position, I think, because you have to think about, you know, chemistry with the back line and, and it's just a little bit more layered. So I don't imagine really that, for instance, Nair is going to lose her starting spot or, you know, French will totally fall off the radar. Um but in the context of Kansas City specifically, it's interesting to to hear um, head coach Caroline Siablum say that she wants to reward good performances and, and Cassie Miller has not conceded any goals. But then you have to think about all those other changes and, and this young back line growing into their new roles in the league. And so I don't know. I'm, I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance with that explanation for why AD French is benched, because she was a big reason why the current got where they ended up last season. Yeah. I was going to say, that's my biggest thing is that like, it's really hard to tell, like is Cassie Miller just performing so much better than French or has the team grown? And, mm-hmm. and even if you look at this exact same team, you know, different players, of course, but even Kansas city last season, they had a really rough start to their year. And then they started to put things together. It just seems to me like the approach that they take takes them a little while to be able to react and figure out how best to close their, they're kind of reactive in terms of putting things together. It's one of the reasons why they got to the, why they got to the championship game. I thought as well, they were just very good at problem solving um, kind of as they went along and they plugged gaps and they figured some things out until they came up and just what they needed was the personnel that they didn't have in the championship game. Now mm-hmm. they have it. And so it seems like it, it it's still because of certain injuries to certain positions where they didn't have the depth. It just felt like, give the players some time. So are we seeing just that be the thing that changes everything for, for Kansas city? Was that what it was? Or is Cassie Miller just that much of a better goalkeeper than French? I don't think you have enough to say definitively either way, really, but knowing French's history in this league, which history goes back to years ago from being a vet, but also back to last season, like you said, she was instrumental in that championship run you don't just become a bad keeper in like, you know, one off season. So it yeah. seems it seems kind of weird to me, but I can also get rewarding good performances as well. You drop her now and maybe Cassie Miller feels like 
I'm never going to get starts then if that's the case. But now France is sitting here like this is the World Cup year. I want to go and I'm sitting on the bench. There's really no good option, I think. Yeah, it almost feels like a lose-lose in that context. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, for for me, like, I, I think I would prefer, like, it would take a lot for me if I was a head coach, which honestly, thankfully, I'm not, because I think I would have been fired, especially the way the Ashton seats roll. I would have been fired a long time ago. Um, but I just think, like, in terms of, in terms of, like, what 80, how important 80 French was, it would take a lot for me to bench her. So I feel like coming in as an interim coach, and that was a bold decision mm-hmm. and it's working because they're winning. But like I said, is that what's the, what's the real, what are the real reasons behind that? And I guess we won't really know until they're actually tested and you kind of see like, you know, if there's a goal that goes through, goes through that causes them to lose. And you're like, okay, French would have saved that. Whereas maybe Miller doesn't, who knows? Like, we're just going to kind of have to wait for that. I, I, I suppose. Cause it certainly seems like right now, given the number of starts in a row, that Miller might be their number one. Yep. And we will see what happens in the next game week. But do you have any closing thoughts on Kansas City Gotham before we wrap for the day? Uh, I don't think so. Just um, I'm super glad to be in your state in the NWSL. Um, I know <laughs> our supporters are probably not happy about that, but um, I just she's so much fun. The style of play and the NWSL just really suits her, and she's just it's so fun to watch her play week in and week out. This the creativity, the invention, um, dribbling skill, shooting skill, everything that she brings to an attack. She's just one of the best players this league because I've said the NWSL needs a Hall of Fame. And if they come up with the Hall of Fame, she needs to have like her own wing in the Hall of Fame because That's the she's way. been that good. I'm I'm into that, honestly. Sad that she's not in North Carolina because those are the games I can go to the most, but <laughs> it's all good. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks, Andre, for joining me to recap all things NWSL. We'd like to give a special thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. For The Equalizer, I'm Ariana Cascone, and we'll be back soon with more on The Equalizer podcast. 